Thank you, worship team. Uh, so nice to have them lead us into God's presence. You know, this morning I'm driving out from Orno, and it's a beautiful morning, is it not? And I'm just rocking out in my car, and I'm just singing praise. And uh, as I'm doing that, just this morning was just a continuation of what I enjoyed in my worship service in the car. So thank you, worship team. I was 16 years old, and I was driving too fast for the icy road conditions. It was a Friday night, and I was going home late. I was late for my basketball curfew. I had dropped my date, Trudy, off, and I was taking the back roads home so my coaches and his friends would hopefully not see me. So I was driving my dad's Oldsmobile. I turned a corner too fast, lost traction. I slid across the road and into the deepest and the steepest ditch in the entire world. At least it felt that way when you're 16 years of age. So I, I crawled out of the car and up the ditch. And from the road, I looked back, and all I could see of the car were the taillights pointing up to the sky. I was stuck. And so the tow truck that came to get the, the car out of the ditch had to chain itself to a light pole in order to pull the car out of this steep ditch. Have you ever been stuck? Sometimes we can get stuck physically, as I was that night in that ditch. However, I've lived long enough to, to realize that sometimes people are stuck emotionally. Sometimes people are stuck in a relationship that's not healthy. And we can even be stuck spiritually. We can be in a rut. There are times as, as though we feel as though that we're in a huge rut and are unable to get out of that. I'm told that there was a, a sign on the Alaskan highway before it was paved, and the sign said this, choose your rut carefully, you're going to be in it for the next 200 miles. You realize that uh, that serves as a good warning to all of us. Be careful, ruts are everywhere. Being stuck or being in a rut is not a pleasant experience. And so today we're going to look at a man in John chapter 5 who indeed was stuck. And so let's look at John 5 verses 1 through 15. It's probably a familiar story to some of you. So sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am going, trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Now, the day in which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. 
the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, who is this man who told you to pick it up and walk? Now, the man who was healed had no idea who Jesus was. Amazing detail of the story. He had no idea who Jesus was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So this fellow is stuck. And so the question we begin with today as we look at this text, what are some of the signs that a person is stuck? And I see four of them in this text. The first one is the simplest. It's in verse 5, and it's the, the sign that is called time. This man had been in this condition for 38 years. 456 months, 11,590 days. You think our time, you know, in the COVID pandemic seems long. Imagine 11,590 days of that. Now, not all physical limitations are indicators that a person is stuck. Probably the greatest example of that would be Johnny Erickson Tata. She's been paralyzed since 1967 due to a diving accident. Yet, what a life Johnny Erickson Tata has lived. She's confined to a wheelchair with limited arm movement. And yet, if you've studied her life, you would see that she is the most unstuck person alive. However, there are some people who are living with stuff. And over the course of time, that stuff can make a person be stuck. And we're going to identify some of those things in a few moments. So that's the first sign. Here's a second sign. It's the place. Notice where this person is hanging out. It's in Jerusalem, and it is at a pool that is called Bethesda which in Aramaic means the house of mercy. And people who were invalids, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, they came here hoping to experience some measure of mercy. This was a place that drew people with disabilities so that uh, you would not have to look very far to see people with disabilities. So uh, needs were easily seen on display. It would almost be like a hospital or a nursing home, a clinic today where you go there and you see a lot of people with needs. Now, I'm going to stop there for a moment. There's a very significant sidebar in this story that we need to address. There's a segment within Christianity today that actively teaches that Jesus wants everyone to be healed of any infirmity that they may have. My question to those people who espouse that theology, what do you do with John chapter 5? Because I want us to understand the significance of this moment. There was a multitude of people. 
a multitude, a great number of people were at this pool. And literally, literally, Jesus would have been walking around them. He would have been stepping over people, around those who are blind. And he finds one, and he heals the one. He heals one out of all the people that were there. Now, those people also would say this. If you're not healed, it's because you lack faith. And yet, this man, after he was healed, had absolutely no idea who Jesus was. And so, I just want to expose the weakness of that segment of Christianity that would make claims like that. I don't know how they deal with this chapter in the Bible. Second sidebar. I've had occasion to do some training of pastors in other cultures and countries. And one of the things that comes up in the, the training is the fact that, that pastors feel so overwhelmed by all the needs within their congregation. They feel a responsibility. They're compassionate people, and they feel a responsibility to care for all the needs of their flock, sometimes at the expense of caring for themselves and caring for their own family. Some of these wives, actually, if you can believe this, some of these pastors' wives refuse to go to the churches that their husbands pastor. That's how resentful they are of the pastor's relationship with uh, his congregation. And so when I hear that conversation, I said, let's look at John chapter 5. And once again, we, we talk about Jesus talking and walking amongst all of these needs. And then we talk about Jesus healing one man. And the significance of that as it relates to pastoral ministry. And one by one, I begin to see the lights come on in a pastor's spirit when he begins to realize that he simply is unable to take care of the entire flock in such a way that all of their needs are met. And it releases him from this prison so that he's able to, again, be a husband and a father to his wife and to his family. He establishes boundaries based upon just this, this freeing concept of what Jesus did there in this place where there were needs everywhere, and Jesus healed just one. So there's a third sign of uh, being stuck. It's beliefs. And so in verse 7, in response to this question that Jesus asks him, we're told that he came to the pool uh, with many others, and they came because of this superstitious belief of the mysterious powers of the, of the swirling of the waters. You see, there was a spring, underground spring, that fed this pool. And so when the waters came up, the, 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 uh, the, the spring, the surface... Uh, began to be stirred, and so people would rush to this pool thinking that there was a magical power within the stirring of the waters. Now, people who are stuck often have naive and superstitious beliefs about what will make them better. And so it reveals a third sign that someone is stuck. The fourth sign is this person's attitude. I believe his attitude is seen in his response to Christ's question. In, in the original language, in the Greek language, uh, 
uh, in verse 7, it says that there is no one. And in the, in the structure, the, the emphasis in his response is upon the fact that there is no one to help him. In other words, saying, I'm alone. I am isolated. I am completely dependent upon others. Of course, it's true. And yet, when you look at this passage, you sense that, that his response indicates that he's, he's a victim, not only of the paralysis, but, but that his physical paralysis has now crept into his mind and is reflected in his attitude. Now, 38 years with this illness makes it understandable that someone would have an attitude such as this. Some time ago, uh, Charlie Brown had a great little cartoon that I'm going to put on the screen. It's of Snoopy. And Snoopy is uh, in his doghouse. It is, uh, it's in the winter, as we can tell in a moment. So let's put this on, on the screen, shall we? So here he is. He's lying in his doghouse, and there is a huge icicle dr directly over his, uh, his uh, little house, and he feels trapped. It's silly, he says, to be trapped in a doghouse by an icicle. He says, I think I'll just make a run for it. I think I'll just zoom out of here. And the next one continues. He says, I think I'll just leap up and zoom right out. And you can tell he's just conjuring up all kinds of willpower to get out. And finally, the last picture shows this. I think I'll just lie here for the rest of my life. And so he feels trapped, unable to get himself out of that situation. Well, indeed, this man is stuck and he is trapped. And so let's identify some of the things that can cause us to be stuck today. The list is myriad. First of all, there's physical illness, physical handicaps, uh, medical words such as cancer, dementia, Alzheimer's, ALS. These are powerful diagnoses, and they're frightening to hear those kinds of words. Those types of, uh, uh, of diagnosis can truly paralyze us. There's physical addiction such as alcohol and uh, prescription drugs, illegal drugs. There is the consumption of food, overeating, anorexia, bulimia are very real issues that especially uh, impact teenage girls. There's workaholism, which is the American accepted addiction. Uh, there is what I call consumption beyond our compensation, overspending. Consumption beyond our compensation. There's pornography. Some people are addicted to exercise. And then there's relationships. People are stuck in unhealthy, abusive, enabling, controlling, dysfunctional relationships. The amount of books that are available on Amazon to help you build healthy relationships, it's staggering the number of books that are written about how to get out of unhealthy relationships. What about our emotions? Now, we all have emotions of grief and uh, guilt 
and shame, fear, anger, and depression. That's just part of, of, of being uh, human. However, there are people today where those emotions control them. They are excessive, and they hold people hostage and captive to them. Phobias. Uh, how about memories? There are people who have had traumatic memories. Some have experienced physical and sexual, verbal and emotional abuse. And it continues to control them. When I lived in North Carolina, we were right next to Fort Bragg. We had people in our church, soldiers that were struggling with PTSD. And even now, we're, we're learning of some of the Minneapolis police officers who are applying for disability because of what they've gone through in the last couple of months. We have false beliefs, you know, lies that fill our minds, that impact our self-image and our self-esteem. See, what we believe impacts how we live. And when our beliefs do not harmonize with what the Scriptures teach, we can easily get stuck. For example, if for some reason someone told you that you were a horse, you would do best just to ignore that. But if a second person tells you that you're a horse, well, you might look in the mirror. But if three people tell you that you're a horse, you might go out and buy a saddle. You see, we begin to believe things that are repeated. And when they are lies that are spoken to us continuously, we begin to embrace them even though they are lies. And so these are just a few of the many things that are out there today that have the potential to get us stuck, just like this man was stuck. And so the question is, how do we get on stuck? And so this story provides several insights as to how we get on stuck. And the first one is found in verse uh, 6, where Jesus asks this question, do you want to get well? Or to put it to be a little bit more contemporary, verse, do I want to get well? Do you want to get well if you're stuck? Now, it sounds like a rather cruel or even rude, does it not, for Jesus to ask that man, do you want to get well? I mean, isn't the fact, isn't that answered by his regularly coming to this pool day after day after day for all of these years? However, is he coming to the pool because he still has, has some hope? Or is he coming there just because it's part of his daily routine? How is Jesus going to cut through the, the years of disappointment and, and find out what is this man's true desires? You see, the reality is, is that some people simply succumb to their situation. Uh, they, they bed down with it, if I could use that term. They become more and more resigned to the fact that this is the way my life is. What happens is that hope dies, and it's replaced with a dull 
and, and passive despair. And so when Jesus acknowledges that he, this man has been in this condition for a very long period of time, he asks the right question, does he not? It's the best question. It's a revealing question. And it's a good question for us to ask ourselves today as well. If we know that we're stuck, are we willing to even have the conversation? Do we want to change anything? Or have we just accepted that this is the way it's going to be? Here's a second question. Do we have the courage to believe that Jesus can unstuck me? I realize the grammar children is not very good, so just ignore that. But do we have the courage to believe that Jesus can unstuck me? And so in verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And when I read that, I, I, I think of a parent of a teenager who probably in the summer has to say that to his teenager. Get up, make your bed, time to get up and get on with the day. And that's kind of what Jesus said to this man. Get up, take up your pallet, and walk. Now, the contrast, think about this, 11,590 days paralyzed and immediately he is healed. The contrast is so incredibly dramatic. And so we're not really sure how the sequence occurs, but in verse 9 it says, at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. We don't know if he felt different or if he's just simply responding to the command of Jesus. There's some ambiguity there. But what I do know is this. It took courage for him to respond to the command of a man he didn't even know. Just think about that. He really didn't know who Jesus was. And yet, when Jesus said, Get up. He got up. Boy, it took courage for him to respond to the words of this unknown stranger. You know, it takes courage to confess to God and to yourself and to someone else that you're stuck. That's probably the biggest hurdle of all. It takes incredible courage to acknowledge that. It takes courage to join a supportive community to slay the dragon. It takes courage to believe that the power of Christ is available to me and could give me freedom. It takes courage to trust that Jesus' way is the right way. It was July the 16th, 1969, and two men were put into a capsule 360-some feet above the ground. Beneath them was the Saturn V uh, rocket ship. At 9.32 that morning, those engines ignited, and these two men were catapulted 40 miles above the surface of the Earth. And after one and a half orbits around the Earth, uh, the uh, second stage of the rocket ignited, and it sent them uh, to a rotating sphere 250,000 miles away from the Earth. And after 73 hours, uh, these two men began to go in orbit uh, of the moon. And after they had orbited the moon, then they got in a, in a smaller vehicle, and they landed on 
the moon. Their names were Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. Can you imagine what it must have been like for them that morning as they strapped into that capsule above that Saturn V rocket? The courage to believe that the physicists and the scientists had done all the right calculations with their slight rules. You know, it took a lot of courage to believe that the engineering had been done properly, that those who had constructed all of the minute pieces of metal, that it had been done accurately. There were no flaws. How much courage did it take for those two men to trust in all of the work that had been done? Incredible courage. But I want you to know this. If humanity has the power to put two men on the moon, do you not believe that Jesus has the power to set us free? To help us to be overcomers? But it takes courage to believe that Jesus can do that. And so the third question is this. How do I guard against a relapse? And so in verse 14, Jesus later finds this man at the temple. And he said to him, see, you are well. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So, you know, this word by Jesus to the uh, man seems to lead us to question the relationship between sin and sickness, uh, his paralysis and his sin. And so, you know, is there a relationship between sin and sickness? And, and the Bible gives a very clear answer. Maybe, maybe not. Could be, but doesn't have to be. Clear as mud. But it is clear in this story that Jesus warns him against being complacent. To stand daily in dying to self. To stand daily in the power of the Holy Spirit to continue that freedom that He has given to us. There is a very... Uh, interesting little verse tucked away in the book of Proverbs. It's chapter uh, 24 and verse uh, uh, 16. And this is what it says. I think we've got it on the screen, do we not? For a righteous man falls seven times, but he rises again. But a wicked man this is, falls and stays in his calamity. It's an interesting verse to me. Now, we know that a, a righteous person is one who consistently chooses the good and the godly things of life. That's part of the characteristic of one who is righteous. One who's been redeemed and lives righteously makes good and godly choices. We, we understand that. But this verse in Proverbs gives to us a little different nuance of what it means to be righteous. Not only is he making good decisions, but when he makes bad decisions, he is resilient. You understand that? 
You can fall seven times, but what's characteristic of the righteous is that he gets up. He refuses to stay there. He gets up again. That's important for us to understand. He refuses to give up or to give in. He does not resign himself to his personal demons. He fights them. He battles them. He wages war against them, even though he may occasionally fall. October of 1941, all of Europe was falling before the blitzkrieg of the Nazi German army. Countries were falling right and left. It was a dark day for uh, Europe. Winston Churchill was the prime minister of Great Britain, and he went back to the school that he attended as a boy. And while he was there, he spoke a little bit about the darkness of the hour. And then he uttered some very famous words that have been quoted and misquoted uh, since then. In that speech, which was not a long speech, he said this, Never give in. Never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never give in. And of course, in the darkest hour, in the early days of World War II, it was Churchill's voice, this message that rang out. And it reminds me of what we're told here. And it is this. Never give in. Never give up. Never give in to what it is that has the potential to get you stuck. Never give in. Because the righteous, the righteous rise again. No matter how many times you relapse, you get up. Because Jesus Christ lives within you. Let's pray. Are you stuck? Do you want to get well? Do you have courage to believe that there's a pathway that Jesus offers? Will you take it? If you've tried and fallen, I encourage you today, get back up. Because the power of Christ is as available today as it was the first time you believed him. You can fall seven times, 70 times, but don't give in and never give up. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this story. Thank you that you know us so well. You see beyond our, our, our situation, the external, and you go right into the soul. You go to the heart. And you expose it to yourself in such a way that we are encouraged and challenged to believe and to trust and to stand up once again. 
And so, God, I pray that you would use these words today to help someone who might be stuck. And, Lord, if they need to share it with someone and join a group, may they have the courage to do so. Thank you for the power of the living God within us. And so, Lord, this day, this beautiful, beautiful Lord's Day, dismiss us with the richness of our fellowship with you, and may we enjoy the fellowship one with another. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.